0: Just take some time to first get connected with ourselves before we connect with each other, Tim. So I'll just invite you to get comfortable in your chair, noticing if there are any areas of discomfort and thanking that part. We're letting you know and making whatever adjustments would help you to feel more comfortable as you begin to connect more fully with yourself. Getting your feet flat on the floor so that you can absorb the energy from the earth to help you to be more grounded and sitting with dignity, so that you can receive energy from the heavens to help you be inspired and lift it up. I'm inviting you now to tune into your breathing. Breathe in, filling your belly. Breathe in through your nostrils, filling your belly, holding it, and then pursing your lips and blowing out slowly, (sighs) allowing yourself to rest a moment. And taking another nice deep inhale, breathing in through your nostrils, filling your belly. Holding it. Pursing your lips and blowing all the air out slowly. Letting your body relax. Let's do one more deep cleansing breath, breathing in, hold it and blowing out. Letting your body relax and imagining that there is a beam coming down from the heavens positive, nurturing energy that flows down over your scalp and your forehead, flushing out tension, fatigue, toxic energy, and down over your face, your cheeks, your jaws, just letting those muscles relax. Beam then going down over your neck and especially over your shoulders, knowing that we shoulder a lot of tension in those muscles, flushing out tension, fatigue, toxic energy right out through your arms and out through your fingertips into the universe that can absorb it. And then imagining that that energy beam flushes your back. Goes down over your back and your chest. Releasing the tension and the fatigue in all your muscles. Your abdomen, your buttocks, your thighs, your calves, your feet. Flushing toxic energy right out your toes out into the universe. Freeing up space in your being for greater lightness. And more connection to all of your resources. Your capacity to be calm Your capacity to be aware and the amazing miracle of just hearing my voice that you can listen, hear it and send messages to your body and to your mind. Your capacity for compassion. For curiosity. for courage, for perspective, for wisdom, for love, for acceptance, for all of these resources and so many more What an amazing miracle that you carry within you all of those resources. And that they are brought together in a unique package that is called by your name. That is your treasure. And that they are there for you as you go through the challenges of life. And just noticing what feelings have been there for you recently, whether that's just today or this week or whatever comes up for you. Noticing what you've been feeling. And be aware that your feelings are not you nor are your thoughts, they're simply travelers passing through and that when you can notice them you can then accept them as not right or wrong, simply temporary feelings and thoughts that you can be a charge of, that you have the wonderful resource of choice and you can choose. Do I want to act on this in some way? Do I want to let it go? Do I want to express it? You are now the leader of your feelings. You are in charge of yourself. And that is a wonderful, wonderful resource. You now have yourself that can lead you. And appreciating all of these resources, I invite you to take another deep breath in. Now, allow yourself to become present and reconnect. Making whatever movements or sounds feel good to you. Uh, Thanks for doing that. Our
1: topic, which is to talk about our experiences with uh, Virginia Satir's work.
0: Right.
1: Maybe we can uh, briefly introduce ourselves. Sure. And then uh, then I would like to sort of interview you about your experiences with Virginia's work, and uh, maybe that's what we have time for today. Um, So I'll introduce myself first. Uh, My name's Tim Sitt, uh, Uh for for those that are watching, and I'm a private, uh, I'm a therapist, psychotherapist in private practice in Toronto, Canada, and I've been studying uh, Virginia Satir's work for, since I was in grad school, so about 11 years now, Uh and uh, I came across her work in a, she, she wrote a brief forward in a book, in a couples therapy book, and just the way she wrote and the way she expressed herself i i knew right away that there was something special about her oh. way of thinking and, and her approach and uh-huh. i've been researching and doing trainings uh you with a variety of uh, people and um i guess what would be considered the elders in the community and uh-huh. um and you've been a great mentor to me in the past uh, almost a year so um so that's a little bit about me and i'm excited uh-huh. to start this Um, video series or podcast with you where we can share about our experiences with Virginia's work. And um, yeah, so could you share a bit about you, Sharon? Um,
0: Well, let's see, I um, have been practicing as a psychotherapist for 38 years now. I'm licensed as a clinical social worker. And I'm, I'm very proud of that because social work is my, where my heart is. Mm-hmm. thinking in terms of how to help the world as best as I can, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've uh, studied with Virginia Satir I went through two of her process communities and, and that was life-changing and um, out of that I've written three books on her work and just recently created a, a satiric coaching and mentoring program that came out of uh a, 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 to say another program that I created for the general public with Margarita Suarez called enriching your relationship with yourself and others, and so it just it's like an organic process of just uh, what comes next kind of thing. Right. It's wonderful. Yeah.
1: Sharon, would you, would you introduce the audience uh, for those who, don't, who may have never heard of who uh-huh. Virginia Satir was? Um, uh-huh. she's, she's passed away now, uh, uh-huh. and I think she died in 1988, I believe. Right, right. At uh-huh. the age of 72. Could you, because you had personal experience with her, maybe just share about uh, historically, how she fits in, uh, in the world of therapy and her contribution?
0: Uh-huh. Sure. Um, Virginia Satir was practicing as a social worker uh, in a psychiatric hospital in uh, Chicago, Illinois Psychiatric Hospital. And she was working with uh, uh, what at that time was called ambulatory schizophrenic young woman. Um, And she was making quite great progress. And then um, the mother called and threatened to sue her with alienation of affection Mm -hmm. and so instead of taking that threat Virginia invited her to come in and she started doing work with the two of them and the mother and then the daughter started getting uh you know regressing and so the uh she decided well hmm, uh, there's something going on here about the system she began to think about systems and she'd been taught psychoanalytic model Mm -hmm. individual family was kind of the enemy so then she works with them and the daughter starts getting better again and then the father uh, I think he either threatened a heart attack or suicide something something threatening so then she brought the father in and again the daughter regressed, and she had to work with that family and then finally she said kind of jokingly Gee, is there anybody else in this family and he they said yeah our son so then she said well bring him in so she brings him in and she goes mm, i have a picture of what's going on in this family are you interested which was a classic way for her to engage people's curiosity they said yes so she had the daughter go over and stand in the corner with her face toward the corner mm. and the son to get up on a chair. And the parents to get down in worshiping mode to the son.
1: This he is, our, was, yeah. yeah, yeah. The golden, so, the golden child. He
0: was the golden child, yeah. uh, and that was the beginning of her concept of working with families, which was absolutely revolutionary at the time. Yeah. Um. Because so everything,
1: everything at that time was one-on-one, right? Everything was individual on therapy one. within absolutely. the psychoanalytic model. Yes. Um, so for her to do that um actually went against a lot of the the quote-unquote rules of practice uh, in psychotherapy
0: so absolutely and uh, but she was so successful that they started asking her to lecture to the re- psychiatric uh, psychiatric residents mm-hmm. and then they said you need to put your material into a book so the first book that was ever written on family therapy as I understand it. it was written by Virginia called conjoint family therapy yeah. and it's a very odd kind of a book it's just a wealth of information but it's very odd because it's written in the outline form in which she taught right in point then, or, yeah. yeah yeah so then she becomes more and more well known and then the mental research uh, institute in Palo Alto ask her to come and be their uh, clinical director and from 1958 to 1968 she developed family therapy training for therapists there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, she didn't she wasn't interested in the research part she she wanted to do to to develop the training and then she became more and more famous Um, eventually some people call her the mother of Mm -hmm. self-esteem you know one of the one of the only woman pioneer in the family therapy field right Um, and um, it was not an easy road for her Uh, there was a point at which she presented um, I think this was at the evolution of psychotherapy and Salvador Mnuchin Mm -hmm. said some very negative things about her but she was too nurturing um, and uh, not confrontive enough Mm -hmm. because she came from an entirely different um, model. She was not looking for pathology, which the other models were, like what's wrong with this family system. She was looking for how she could enhance the sense of self, the self worth of each individual and enhance the communication between the members in -hmm. order to heal the system. She was always looking for what's what are the resources that I can help enhance here rather than where's the sickness? Mm -hmm. Um, And so she got a lot of grief. And um, it was only after she died, sadly, that Salvador Mnuchin made a huge announcement that he needed to apologize to Virginia. Mm -hmm. Because in his older, you know, when he got older, he began to see the wisdom of her capacity for compassion and empathy. But that's
1: so so maybe that's a good transition into maybe we can discuss in -hmm our personal experience with Virginia's work in terms of uh-huh. what differentiated it, what made it special in uh-huh. comparison. One, not just the psychoanalytic models, but also uh-huh. what makes it unique within even the family therapy model. Because I think there, you've already kind of hinted at a few things, uh-huh. this emphasis on this core self, what Virginia I know called self-esteem. And, uh-huh. and I think later on we, we can sort of make distinctions of what that means because self-esteem and uh, her discussions around self-worth it's not exactly in in the way that the psychological literature uses those words, but
0: uh-huh.
1: um, could you maybe highlight a few things that stand out to you in terms of what I mean? And also as a as a beginning therapist, or whenever you you sort of came into contact with Virginia's work, what stood out to you as this is this is uh, different, or there's something special about uh, the way this woman works? What were those things for you?
0: Well, uh, I went to a four-day training with my first exposure to her um, was uh, uh, in Springfield, Illinois in 1979 and it was a four-day workshop. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a master's degree and and I was used to being lectured to and taking down notes (laughs) and this was totally different. Mm. I mean, I, I was blown away. It was it was extremely experiential, extremely intimate, um, in terms of the exercises we had to do, but also she modeled working with uh, a single mother and two children.
1: Like she did uh, a session? You mean she, she did she did a session, live session every
0: morning that she did with the same family for three days in a row? Okay, every yeah. morning, and that experience was in and of itself life-changing for me.
1: Yeah, and I think in terms of therapists, especially of that time, and certainly now, there's not a lot of therapists um, that would that demonstrate their work in front of live audiences or have done as nope. much videotaping. So um, as, as someone that was never had the opportunity to train with her directly, that work, uh-huh. the videotapes, being able to see her work is, is a treasure. And um, could you uh, describe experientially what you, you use that word in your experience of her, what what do you mean by that?
0: Well, the first exercise we had to do is we had to stand up and walk around and, you know, find somebody that we didn't know. I didn't know anybody there, you know, yeah. sit down with them and make eye contact with them um for longer than's comfortable. <laughs> and then uh so she's already pushing your boundaries, you know. Right. But then she said, Okay, I'm going to ask you to, to imagine you're a camera, and you're going to close your eyelids, and then mm-hmm. you are going to open them again, and and look at that person and see what stands out to them to you physically. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? Mm-hmm.
0: And then close your eyes, and then check inside as to how that is for you. Do you have judgments about that? And how do you feel about your judgments? and then open your eyes again. Are there any stereotypes that you have that you that you're aware of as you look at this person? Close your eyes go in and and, you know, reflect Mm -hmm. on your judgments about that. Are there any way then open your eyes again? And are there any ways that you uh, think of someone else? This person reminds you of somebody else? Right? or is there any third-party information that you already have about this person? You can close your eyes, and reflect on the feelings you have about that. Mm-hmm. Then that part's over. Then you open your eyes and share whatever you're willing to share with your partner. I, you know, I've never done anything that intimate and personal in graduate school. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, woo, you know. But right away, you're getting into projections, you're getting into stereotypes, and you're getting into increasing your own capacity for awareness and reflection.
1: Yeah, and you use the word intimacy, I think just Mm -hmm. sitting with someone Mm -hmm. and looking at them Mm -hmm. is is letting go of the patterns of behavior like speech, right, Uh, kind of engaging verbally, which then which you can easily get into a pattern or get easily get into a defense. But maybe I think her structuring that exercise that way um it, it allowed you to, because I think the purpose of it is, how can you meet someone um, without acknowledging those projections in whatever yes. form, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a memory, whether it's a story, yes, yes. some kind of association. Uh-huh. But to feel that difference, I think, is one of, I think, structurally, one of the unique things about, uh, and one of the things I've appreciated about her, when we're talking about experiential, it's, can you experience yourself? In relationship to the experience you're having with this other person, yes. and realize that the experience you're having may have little to do with the person that's that's sit, sitting in front of you.
0: Absolutely. And, and then
1: what? And then what's that like? It's like yes. Oh, I yes. didn't know. I didn't know that I I used my consciousness or I didn't use my uh-huh. mind or my eyes in that way, uh-huh. and um, to have an experience of that that's not purely cognitive. It's right. not like I'm just analyzing or understanding something linearly or logically. Right. Right. But I'm, I'm feeling that from within right. my body right. and experiencing, yeah, you know, when I look at you, I see my mom. Or when uh-huh. I see you, I see my brother. Uh-huh. And okay, if that's what I'm doing, if that's what happens uh-huh. automatically, uh-huh. how much do I miss?
0: Uh, as exactly. A result. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not only how much do I miss, but how much do I attribute to you that's not fair? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I know some, some people in the satire community they would use the the question like what what hat are you putting on me right now? Right. I don't. Yes. Is that something that Virginia
0: said? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. In, in fact, from, if I remember correctly, in the book New People Making, she talks when she's trying to teach families she'll say well you got this hat on you for being a mother you got this hat on you for being a wife you got this hat on you for being a worker you know and yeah. all these hats and all these roles but also roles. The, yeah. the the projections and she used to say you know um a little baby comes out and the family says oh my god he looks just like uncle george mm-hmm. and the, and she said uh you know if uncle george was stubborn right away people can start putting on that kid Uncle George's hat. And, oh, see there, he was stubborn. when he's just being a normal two-year-old. Right, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. He starts getting boxed
0: into that. Uh, so it's yeah. a really, really good metaphor that speaks to, you know, everyone. But it's a very important concept. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. Um, well, we've just got a few minutes till okay. three. How are you doing on time? Do you need to get going at three, or what?
0: Um. I need to leave in about 15 minutes
1: 15 minutes okay so mm-hmm. why I mean can we go a little bit deeper into um, I think biographically for you Sharon what what impact has Virginia's work had on your life personally and professionally
0: um, I guess by looking at the way I live my life is huge <laughs> Because <laughs> I spend every day trying to further Virginia's teachings, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, uh, when I went to the first training, um, I was terrified. I was one of twenty strangers, and we were going to be together for thirty. Uh, what did I say? 20 ninety. Ninety. People. Ninety strange yeah. strangers, and we were going to be together for thirty days, and it was. It was like therapy around the clock you couldn't get away from yourself it was the hardest thing i've ever ever done in my life yeah Yeah. um and uh i made a decision on the way home that i would never do that again and in four months i'd signed up for the next summer (laughs) because i got so much feedback from my clients saying something has changed Mm -hmm. and and i now believe it's all in the energy you know that when you work things through there's a different energy that's, that's your emit, you know, there's more harmony inside. You're more comfortable in your own being. And, um,
1: Would you feel comfortable to share what, because it sounded like a transformation for you in that first experience? 30 days is a long time. 30 days um, is a long is there, time. Could you describe that uh, maybe more specifically? What did you experience and how do you think that changed you?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, probably, you know, I've, I, I I've never been able to nail it all down because there's so many pieces to what she would do. I remember when I did the first train, that four day train with her the first day she said we're going to be weaving and I had no idea what weaving meant but mm-hmm. that I now understand you know she she'd weave in this experience and she'd weave in that experience and she'd weave in this concept and back and forth mm-hmm. integrating it so that it's you know at some level it's hard for me to kind of like piece out one thread.
1: Maybe but, we maybe that's wasn't. a good transition into talking. Like, I think one of the things as we talk, I mean, in this inter, introductory um, phase of what we're doing is outlining what stood out, what stands out to us in Virginia's way of working. And we've talked about experiential. Okay. I think okay. the other key ingredient is sy- systemic. Yes. And when you use the the image of weaving, I think of the word systemic, which means not to think about just okay if someone's dealing with a symptom like depression what are what's the event a that led to B that then leads to c but yeah looking at it you know i know an image that that she liked to use a lot is the image of a a mobile hanging Uh over a baby's crib and how multiple factors are at play so when one piece is hanging down that tips the other one up and then shifts all the other pieces and when you talk about weaving there's layers and layers of things that um that are interlaced that are affecting Uh each other in in uh in innumerable ways that um it's it's not so much tracking all of them like in a family in a family of four or five people there's dozens and dozens of different relationships and different triads and different uh pairings Mm -hmm. um but to appreciate that that an effect on one level so for example yes Yes. you know that that experience that you described with meeting someone how does that affect not just your thinking but how does that affect your feeling how Mm -hmm. does that affect your beliefs and so it's kind of the the weaving inside of of your experience Um, and then how does that affect uh, relationships uh, Uh within something like a family or Uh an organization or something like Uh that so is there you know is there a way that you could speak to this idea or the theme of systemic in terms of um, what you brought back so after the 30 day experience you know Uh how that may relate to a change that happened in you?
0: a couple things first of all I want to respond to the concept of systems and then I think one of the most important things Virginia taught is that we have a a kind of a a strong need to decide that one person is at fault for this pain yeah you know at a country level at a world level I mean I see it every day in the news who's at fault here right you and to identify just one thing because it, it simplifies it for us right. and that when she said you know when you look at a system the son is impacted by the father the father is impacted by the son the mother is impacted by the relationship between the father and the son the son is impacted by the relationship between the mother and the father mm-hmm. it is extremely complex right. and when you understand that that the, 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 you're treating the unit, you are not treating one individual who is the cause of all this pain. It's a big shift,
1: yeah. you know, it's yeah.
0: a really important shift. So having said that, in terms of what I brought back, look, looking back now, I suspect that probably the major thing that the process helped me uh, do was to begin to express and to voice because Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very loving family but um there were some very important rules peace at any price and um Mm -hmm. that which meant you just learned to uh not voice anything you know you didn't talk about feelings you didn't talk about what you saw going on you just were quiet and so and Virginia created in those classes a context where she, she created the safety and the encouragement for you to take risks of all kinds. And for me, that risk was voicing. Mm. So I think that uh, you know the, 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 then that created more harmony inside because I didn't have as much energy that was focused on suppressing everything, right. not feeling it and not talking
1: about it It is a way of thinking about that sharon the the more honest expression of self like Mm -hmm. the honest expression of the uh, the core self rather than what do i need to do to maintain uh, a balance in this family to not rock the boat not upset others uh, not upset mom or dad and to kind of keep, it's, it's a, it's a regu- it's regulation of emotion at the cost of um, honestly expressing yourself. Exactly. And, and what, what is the cost of that? And I think then it's, it can manifest in, in yes. all kinds of symptoms of mental illness. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that was a, a key discovery in terms of why family therapy was so powerful and, and useful.
0: Yes. Um, one of the things that I'm aware of is that, I, mean, I suffered with tremendous anxiety And I don't anymore. And it's like, you know, sometimes you have a headache and you go, oh, I don't have a headache anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and I faced uh, two cancer surgeries and all kinds of other things.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And it just blows my mind that that obsessive anxiety part went away.
1: Right. Because you gave yourself permission to feel what you are feeling.
0: But no, it wasn't conscious. It was just that she created... The process where it could happen, she didn't tell you that, you know. But uh, she was always helping people break those core rules. Right. That it's not okay to talk about what you see. It's not okay to feel. It's not okay to ask for what you want. It's not a take okay to take risks.
1: Yeah, and and when you talk about the the context and providing a context to experience it, Uh I think that's very different than the than approaches that are maybe psychoeducational in approach that focus mostly on. what is the right information uh-huh. to share? Like, how do I, you know, right. what's what's kind of the worksheet to kind of work through what is the belief or what's yeah. and so forth. But to take a risk and to say, you know, what what's going on in your heart? What's yes. what's going on in your body right now? Because that's happening right now and it's I, happening between yes. you and I, yes. or between you and your family, whoever's present I, I, or, or imagined it. and And how, how do you, ex- can, if I am there with you, and inviting you to express that, to take Uh a risk, and I'm facilitating that safe, nurturing space, which Uh she emphasized so much, then you can come into a different experience of yourself. Uh Uh And if I do that only with one person in the family, and they go back to their family context where it's not safe to do that, and they have no idea about this idea of, you know, having a space and a, a nurturing energy to, Invite the expression of that okay. feeling or that thought um, oh. Then it kind of goes back to that story which you shared with the the, the Schizophrenic the, the daughter who's experiencing schizophrenia okay. And you know being one way with her mom and then with her dad and then with her brother um, Yeah, I think that's that's a major uh, Piece in terms of what I look at Virginia's work that was very unique Okay, how do you think we're doing so far Sharon?
0: Well, I, I'm really tickled because I've never, never voiced <laughs> till you asked that question, you know, what may have been among all the threads that were weaving, what may have been the most important for me. So thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I've enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, hearing from you and I, yeah. I'm sure there's lots more to hear about. But right. why don't, no- why don't we pause there for today and, and right. carry on uh, the next time? So maybe we can thank the people, whoever is going to be watching this, for for joining us.
0: And uh, so we'll look forward to having you join us for the next one.